Today we find ourselves in the second half of Romans chapter 8. I'm very, very excited about this passage because in this passage we hear about the single greatest thing in all the universe. The single greatest thing even outside of the universe. Today, we're talking about the best thing that could ever be. And I really like to talk about the best. I don't like to just think about things that are not quite the best. I like to ponder, study, and devote myself to the things that are the very best. I'm pretty enthusiastic about the best superhero ever, Superman. He's the first and original modern superhero, and I try to pattern a lot of my life about Superman stuff. I even named my son Clark after Clark Kent, Superman's uh, alter ego. My daughter's middle names are Lois, Lane, and Lara, Superman's mom's name from Krypton. I'm really into it because I wouldn't condescend to study and love something less than the best. Bigger than superheroes, bigger than best football player ever, bigger than anything on this earth. What is the very greatest thing that exists in all of the universe? It's love. Love really is the greatest, and not everybody understands this right away. Not everybody understands that love truly is the most powerful, but God's love requires so many things to make it sing more powerfully than anything else. We know that God is the greatest conceivable being. God is perfect. Divine love requires that God be all-knowing. Divine love requires that God be all-powerful in order to save us. Divine love requires God exercise all of his attributes Simultaneously, divine love requires that God be three in one. Divine love is the most powerful force in the world, and it truly is. Some people might ask questions about divine love. I'm bringing them up. Well, what could possibly be stronger than the love of God? Absolutely nothing. Nothing is stronger than the love of God. We live in a world where lots of things compete for our attention, where lots of things compete for our devotion. Today, on the first Sunday of the year 2020, 2020, we are going to focus on the best. We're going to focus on the love of God, because this will focus our minds on everything else to come. Now, the question becomes, well, who does God love? Humans made in his image. That's who God loves. God loves humans made in his own image, but you understand that questions beget more questions, and you're wondering right now, why does God love us? Why does God love us in the face of all the crummy things we do? In the face of all the crummy things that happen in this world, why does God love us? And it's very simple, because he chooses to love us. God's sovereign choice is above all else. God has chosen to love us. But if it's true that God chooses to love us, we might wonder, how much does God love us? Well, God loves us so much that the Father loves us enough to sacrifice his own son for us. The Son, Jesus, loves us enough to die on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit loves us enough to indwell us and intercede for us. 
The triune God displays love for us in a multitude of ways, but think about how much love it would take to sacrifice your only son. Think about how much love it would take to trade your life in for someone else you care about. Think about how much love it takes for someone to live inside someone else and go between us and the Father, making sure that things are okay. Because God loves us so much, there's another question. Well, what could possibly derail God's love for us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. God's love for us is like a mighty locomotive that thunders down the rails, and there is no force that can derail it at all. God's love is incredible, but how incredible is it really for us? What does it do for us? God's love pays the penalty for our sin and conquers the power of sin, the word conquer is a pretty interesting word. The word conquer is synonymous in English with the word overcome. And in fact, in the Greek language, anytime you see the Greek word nikau, that can be translated into English either as conquer or overcome. This will be an important concept as we think about God's love today. But God's love pays the penalty for our sin, and it conquers and overcomes the power of sin. The penalty of sin is a really, really big deal. We owe a life debt to God because we have sinned against the infinite God. But his love overcomes that penalty. Jesus paid that penalty for us. And in turn, God's love makes us more than conquerors. In fact, it makes us co-heirs with Christ. This is what we're going to learn about today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 8. We'll start with verse 18. You can follow along with me as I read our text for today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he searches our hearts, knows, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Suffering is a part of living in this fallen world. You know that it is. Despite the hopeful expectations of rolling into a new year, some of you are suffering right now. Some of you are suffering job loss. Some of you are suffering loss because someone you love dearly has recently died. 
Some of you are suffering because someone you love dearly is laid up in the hospital. Some of you are suffering because of disobedience in your home. Some of you are suffering because of world crisis surrounding us. Some of you are suffering because those you love are defending our nation and our interests overseas. Some of you are suffering right now for reasons I can't even fathom. But suffering is indeed a part of this fallen world. We live in a fallen world, and suffering comes with that. But the glory to be revealed in us trumps that suffering. There is something better coming. Better things are yet to come. We have experienced a tiny preview of coming attractions. For the Lord himself came to earth, and through his miraculous power, he showed us a better way. He showed us how things are eventually going to be, but right now... We suffer. We suffer, but we know that the things to come far outweigh the things that are happening right now. Creation itself is going to be transformed. All of creation will move from decay to glory, but the pinnacle of creation is humanity. And the glory that we're talking about this morning is the consummation of our adoption, the receipt of our resurrection bodies. We're talking about heaven. It seems esoteric to think about heaven, but I want you to ponder heaven. What will heaven really be like? Lots of people have misconceptions about heaven. Lots of people think that heaven is as described in Hollywood. Lots of people think that every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And lots of people think that we might become ethereal spirits who play ethereal harps in praise of God all day long. And you think, oh, how boring. That's not what heaven will be. Heaven is a very physical place. God created us both spiritual and physical. And heaven will be very, very physical. And the best part about heaven will be that you and I will receive our resurrection bodies. And once we have our resurrection bodies, we will cease to get sick. We will cease to grow old. We will cease to die. Lots of the suffering that takes place is because of our physical nature. But when that physical nature is fully redeemed and our adoption as daughters and sons of God is fully consummated... It has already begun. It has already begun. I am already a son of God. You were already a daughter of God. But we have not fully been consummated into that adoption relationship because there's a part still missing. And that part still missing is your resurrection body. I know that my body is not right yet. I know that none of us think that our body is right yet because all of us still have fallen bodies. But like all of creation, we suffer longing to be right. We want things to be better. We don't want terrorists to blow people up anymore. We don't want lions and sharks to attack people anymore. We don't want hurricanes and earthquakes to claim the lives of people anymore. We don't want famine and warfare to hurt us anymore. But until then, our job is to grow in Christ-like patience. We can be patient because our suffering is counterbalanced by the Spirit. No matter what suffering you experience today, do you understand that it is counterbalanced by the Holy Spirit living inside of you? And because the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead courses through your veins, you are powerful enough to endure. You are able to overcome. You can get through it. I know that you can get through it. 
Because when the Holy Spirit is in us, we have divine power reminding us of divine truth. And the divine truth of the matter is that if God is for us, who can be against us? The divine truth of the matter is that God's love is so powerful, it transcends even the things that are happening. The Holy Spirit inside of us, one of the things that he does for us is intercede for us at the will of the Father. The Father's will is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of righteousness, indwells us and goes between us and the Father. And sometimes when you don't even know what to pray, when you can't even cry out because suffering is so overwhelming and the frustration of suffering gets you to the point where you cannot even express yourself. And I know that you have been there because I have been there and our experience is synonymous. We as human beings have all been so frustrated by suffering. The Holy Spirit steps in for us. And with wordless groans, he communicates with the Father on our behalf. And he makes known both to the Father and to us the love that we have for each other. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us become Christ-like. We have a job right now. The job is Christ-like patience. The book of Revelation explains many, many times, to him who overcomes or conquers, God will reveal, and there are a number of promises in the book of Revelation, especially in the first two or in three chapters. We must overcome. We must patiently endure. But how can we possibly patiently endure in the face of so much evil? Well, the way we can patiently endure and conquer is because the Holy Spirit is in us helping to get the job done. He's fashioning us into Christ-likeness. You are no longer yourself because it's not you who live anymore. You are Christ. And you are to be conformed into the image of Christ little by little. You cooperate with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit helps you say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and helps you embrace the Christ-like holiness that Jesus displayed and that you too can embrace. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us get this done because it's the Holy Spirit who helps us understand God's love. Well, what is God's plan for us exactly concerning his love? To understand what this is, we have to turn back to the scriptures. So let us look back to Romans chapter 8 and continue, starting in verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, 
For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God is the most powerful. The love of God is for us to become Christ-like. That is God's loving plan. When God orchestrates the plan for you in your life, specifically and particularly you, individual you, God wants you to become Christ-like. Those God calls to Christ-likeness, which is every person alive, but not every person receives that call. Not every person adheres to that call. But you who are here, you who are considering, you who are contemplating, you who have already committed to Christ, have been called to Christ-likeness. And those who understand they have been called to Christ-likeness, God has also glorified and justified. God glorifies and justifies those he predestines and calls. These are lots of big words. There are lots of big things being thrown around. But if you recall our Roman series heretofore, you understand that justification is the fancy word for saying God has addressed the penalty of our sin. Any person whom God justifies is a person whose penalty for sin has already been taken care of. Jesus Christ substituted for us. He took our place and he received the penalty that we should have received. And because Jesus Christ is both God and man, he can justify everybody who's ever lived. All we have to do is place our faith in him. Justification is being right with God in terms of the penalty of our sin being squared. Sanctification is being right with God in terms of becoming more Christ-like. Once you have been justified, the Holy Spirit starts to sanctify you. The Holy Spirit starts to sanctify you. And when God justifies and sanctifies, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and make you more like Christ every day. You have nothing to do with your own justification. God is the one who justifies you. But you are heavily involved with your own sanctification because it's the Holy Spirit who collaborates with you. The Holy Spirit works with your spirit and together you become more like Christ. Alone, you cannot do it but the Holy Spirit will not force you to become Christ-like against your will. You have to be a collaborative partner with him in this. And those God justifies and sanctifies, he also glorifies. Glorification is the fancy word for being right with God in terms of our bodies, and none of us have been glorified yet. Glorification happens when you receive a resurrection body, and that won't happen until the Lord returns once more. So you may have been justified, and you are in the process of being sanctified. But none of us have been glorified yet. For this we wait. But God has told us it's coming. It's coming. God is going to give us a body as glorious as that of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. So the question becomes, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And when I say if God is for us, I'm not talking about if God is for us in terms of our favorite sports team. 
Oh, God really wants the Chiefs to win next week. And so they're that's No, no, I don't think he cares. I'm not even talking about if God is for us in terms of warfare. Ooh, if God is for us, then we will win this physical battle. I'm not talking about this at all. I'm not talking about this. People understand God being on their side, and they use that misunderstanding to carry out all sorts of stupid things. Atrocities in war, stupidity when it comes to our favorite sports team or other things. Oh, this is God's country, as though other places are not. The mountains are just as much God's country as the ocean, and some people prefer one to the other. But we talk in terms of if God is for us, because we know that God is the best. And so the question really is if, if God is for us, how do you know if God is for us? Well, we read the scriptures. We allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate us from the inside out. And I know who God is for. God is for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is who God is for. God is for the Christian. God is for his chosen people. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one of consequence. No one of consequence. For Christ overcomes and conquers all. Oh, there might be people against you. There might be people against you. The government might be against you. A foreign government might be against you. An opponent might be against you. An enemy might be against you. But what are they going to do? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one that matters. Because no one can stand against the might of God's love. God's love conquers and overcomes all. So it doesn't matter who is against you. You might think, well, sometimes people say I'm no good. Who can effectively bring charges against God, or before God, against those whom God has chosen? No one. It's God who justifies our greatest adversary, besides ourselves, is Satan. And Satan's main job is to accuse us. He loves to accuse us, you've been bad. And he loves to make us feel really bad for the bad that we have done. As though Christ dying on the cross doesn't remove the penalty for our sin. He likes to confuse us and make us think we're in a worse spot than we really are. But who can effectively bring charges before God against those whom God has chosen? No one, because it's God himself who justifies. Who could possibly condemn us then? No one can condemn us. As Romans 8.1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died, was raised, and sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us. Jesus has done everything for us to justify us. Therefore, no one can condemn us. Jesus has overcome. No one can condemn us. Well, what could separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything else you can think of. However you're suffering, it can't derail God's love for you in Christ. And do you know what that means for us? If nothing can derail God's love for us, and God's love is inside of us, do you understand what that means? We Christians are more than conquerors. 
We are more than conquerors. We love to celebrate conquerors. We love to celebrate people who conquer. Alexander the Great was a great conqueror because he conquered the known world. Genghis Khan was a great conqueror because he overcame his region of the world. We love to celebrate conquerors, those who conquer the enemy, those who conquer the opponent, those who conquer the mountain. But we are more than conquerors. We are not conquerors like the world, and that is because we overcome with a greater power than anyone in this world could ever have. That's the power of Jesus. We're not like anyone in this world because we overcome with a greater motive than anyone in this world has, the glory of Jesus. And ultimately, we overcome with a greater love than any love in this world. We conquer enemies with love and convert persecutors with patience. The Apostle Paul knows about this all too well. He was a persecutor of the faith. He was a persecutor of the faith. He murdered Christians. He breathed out murderous threats. He went all around the region arresting and chucking Christians in jail. And yet Jesus was patient with him. Jesus was patient with him. And when he finally got a hold of Saul of Tarsus, he turned his life around. And with patient endurance, Jesus changed Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, our human author of our text this morning. He knows full well that God's love conquers enemies and patience can win over persecutors. The love of God truly is the most, imagine, or most powerful force uh, imaginable. You can't even think of something greater than the power of God. The love of God transforms us from just being a regular conqueror into more than a conqueror. It transforms us into being a co-heir. Once, you were an enemy of God. When you were separated from him by the disobedience in your heart, you were an enemy of God. But then, because God loved you so much, you moved from being an enemy of God to being a servant of God. But because God loved you so dearly, you transformed from being a servant of God into being a friend of God because God revealed all his plans to you. But then, because he loves you so much, he lets you transform from a friend of his into a co-heir with Christ. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And because I'm a co-heir with Christ, this means that the power of Christ is in me. And that means, very simply, that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nothing can separate me from the love of God because nothing can separate Christ from the love of God. If Christ is in me and I am in Christ, the love of God transcends and transforms my life. God's loving plan for us is very simple, that we would become like Christ. He wants us to be like Jesus. Christ has conquered this world, this life, sin. He's conquered all of it. And because the power that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us, you too can overcome this world. You too can overcome this life. You too can overcome the sin that has been holding you back from reaching your potential in Christ Jesus because you won't let go of it. He can help you drop it. Through Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are co-heirs. This means that our justification is done. 
It already happened. I am justified. I do not have to pay any penalty for my sin. Jesus has already paid for it. It's done. This means that my sanctification is in process. It's happening. The Holy Spirit is working inside of me to make me more like Jesus. And my glorification, well, I'm awaiting that. I won't get that till I receive my resurrection body. And so, until I receive my resurrection body, while I still have this body, lowly as it is, I seek to grow in Christ-likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit and share the love of God with everyone around me. The love of God is most perfectly summed up in the life of Jesus. You know this full well. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus said some very comforting words in the face of suffering. I don't know what suffering you face this morning, but I do know what Jesus has to say about it. Jesus says these words, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. Jesus has conquered the world. Take heart. Jesus has overcome. Take heart. Jesus has conquered. What is it that you face? What is it that you fear? Is it financial crisis? Take heart. Jesus has overcome. Do you fear that something bad might happen to you physically? Take heart. Christ has conquered this world, this life, and sin. And that means I am more than a conqueror because I am in Christ. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. If you are not in Christ, I beseech you, would you please accept Christ this morning? I'm not sure where everybody is. I think I recognize almost everybody here, and I think almost everybody here is in Christ. Good. That means we've got a job to do. That means we've got to share the love of God with the rest of the world, and we need to love them and be patient with them even when they persecute us so that the love of God can be given to them. 